Thank you all for being here this morning. <clears throat> My name is Tom, and I lead our team here at Crossroads. So glad you decided to join us on December 22nd. I don't know how many conversations I've had this December with people who are just like, it's crazy. It's crazy, it's crazy how fast December has flown by. Um, and I think a function of that, part of that is just because of the, the sheer busyness um, of, of the season. So I'm really glad you decided to carve some time out and be with us here this morning. I want to start with a quote from one of my favorite authors, a guy by the name of Dallas Willard. Thank you, Bruce. The conditions and habits of our lives often seem incompatible with the life that Jesus lived and surely that he offers to us. So why is that? With all the the technology that we have, we still scramble to try to get things done. We go a thousand miles an hour and yet we still feel overwhelmed. We, we have closets that beg for another goodwill run and yet we still feel like we don't have enough. Why, why is that? There's something in, in the, the pit of our stomach that tells us that that's wrong. But more importantly, Scripture tells us that that's not the way this life was meant to be. In the Gospel of John, one of the stories that tells um, one of the chapters of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that tells the accounts of Jesus, his earthly ministry. Jesus himself said, I have come to give them life and life to the full. In the book of Romans, uh, chapter 8, we read that God wants to give us all things. And in the book of Philippians, we read that God will meet all of our needs. And yet we still scramble and feel like we're banging our head against the wall. And why, so why, why is that? Why does that happen? Could be the choices that we make. Could be the choices that other people make. It could be the circumstances in which we find ourselves. More than likely, it's probably a combination of all of that. These verses, this is not, um, maybe some of you might, might have heard a term called the prosperity gospel. This is not the prosperity gospel. This is not if you do the right things, if you give enough money, if you have enough faith, if you have the right amount of faith, then you will be healthy, wealthy, and wise. No, this, this is the gospel gospel. This is the fact that we cannot do those things on our own. We will not be able to believe enough. We will not be able to have enough faith. We will not be able to give enough on our own. But in Jesus, we will absolutely be able to do those things. At Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Jesus. 100% God, 100% human came and he walked among us that he might experience this life just as we did. As we think about the, like trying to understand the craziness of, of what it is we're experiencing and those feelings of frustration and those feelings of just not being able to, to get it right, um, trying to understand that in the big picture, trying to understand why it is that we celebrate Christmas, we need to understand why it is that Jesus came and walked among us. And I want to share a verse with you that I'm, I'm not, 
probably is not considered a Christmas verse, but as I came upon it, as I was studying and preparing, I think it answers the whole thing. It tells the whole story, and at the risk of sounding trite and abusing a phrase that's already been abused, I believe it is a game changer. Um, This is in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We're going to break that down and look at the, the pieces of it a little bit. The first phrase that's up there, the Son of Man, that is a term that only three of the biblical authors use. Daniel the prophet, John, one of Jesus' closest friends, and Jesus himself. When Daniel used it in his book, he was talking about someone who shares all of the, the glory and honor and sovereign power of the God of heaven. When John was talking about future things, he was talking about someone who would sit enthroned and rule over all the earth. And then Jesus comes along and takes this phrase, son of man, that was used to talk about the Savior, the Messiah, the one who would rule the universe, and he says, that's me. That was, that's Jesus who said, for even the Son of Man. That's him saying that. He's talking about himself. I am the Messiah. This is a really big deal that Jesus, he just says up front, he said, I am the Son of Man. I am the Son of Man. Scripture tells us that Jesus is the exact image of the invisible God, that in him all things were created and all things are held together. The book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The very fact that we're all sitting here and that the earth continues to spin and that all the other planets are doing their things and all the systems that make this planet work are doing their things is all because Jesus is holding it all together. It's holding it all together. If Jesus is indeed the Son of Man, right, why, why do we still feel so overwhelmed? Right? David taught us two weeks, two weeks ago. Jesus says, if you're, if you're carrying a heavy burden, bring it to me. Right? We have that offer, off, offer excuse me, from Jesus to bring him the weights that we carry, and yet we still struggle and struggle and struggle. I want to offer you another quote from Dallas Willard. This one is a, a little bit lengthier, but we think about Jesus, and sometimes we relegate him to specific realms and, and areas of our lives. Um, again, this is, this is Dallas Willard. In our culture, and among Christians as well, Jesus Christ is automatically disassociated from brilliance or intellectual capacity. Not one in a thousand will spontaneously think of him in conjunction with words such as well-informed, brilliant, or smart. Hey, Bruce, could you drive while I'm reading this, please? Far too often, he is regarded as hardly conscious. He is taken as a mere icon, a wraith-like semblance of a man living on the margins of real life where you and I must dwell, He is perhaps fit for the role of sacrificial lamb or alienated social critic, but little more. But can we seriously imagine that Jesus could be Lord if he were not smart? If he were divine, would he be dumb or uninformed? Once you stop to think about it, how could 
he be what Christians take him to be in other respects and not be the best informed, most intelligent person of all, the smartest person who ever lived, bringing us the best information on the most important subjects. If Jesus can figure out how to step out of eternity and into time, how to be born of a virgin and live this life perfectly, how to heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead, himself be murdered and then rise from the dead, if he can figure all of that out, whatever you and I have going on, and that's not to trivialize whatever struggles you might have, Jesus can handle it. This title, the Son of Man, says that Jesus is worthy to be followed. He's worthy to, um, for us to allow him to, to serve us in the Jesus-y spiritual stuff and in the everyday things that we might consider more, more practical. The next phrase I want to point out is this word, Serve. As we, we look at this and we think about it in terms of the original language, it's like a, a personal action that is done for another. Quite literally, it means waiting tables. Uh, there's also some more nuance to it that suggests that it's, it's a, an extreme act of service, that it's all about being for the other person up until the point of, of death. At this point in time, so I, I say this a lot, like when we look at scripture, we need to think about the audience, the original audience who was reading this for the first time, right? So this is first century Palestine, and the world was kind of controlled by this Greco-Roman thought process. And there were a group of, a pretty significant group of philosophers called the Sophists. And um, they had a saying about servants, and if you had to serve. Uh, they said, how could a person be happy if he has to serve someone else. This is the world into which Jesus shows up and says, even the Son of Man, the creator of all this, the one who holds all this together, who knows how it all works, he came not to be served, but to serve. Jesus is turning the, the dynamics of human relationships on their head. Pick whatever, whatever analogy you want, right? Whether it's the president voluntarily serving you dinner, right? Maybe it's Bill Gates, and Bill Gates is your free Uber driver, and not the, like the Hyundai Uber, but like the Escalade, right? They come in the nice car and pick you up. Maybe it's Mark Zuckerberg, and he's the guy who's collecting, he's your garbage man. And it's not just your garbage, but it's been like sitting out in the summer heat for a week, and he's gotta come and pick it up. Jesus himself pretty famously defined what servanthood is when he washed his disciples' feet. Again, in first century Palestine, this act of foot washing was a task that was served for the lowliest, saved for the lowliest of servants. And Jesus himself washed his disciples' feet, his feet. And they were not, these guys didn't wear sneakers, they didn't wear boots, they were wearing sandals, traipsing around in dusty old Palestine. These feet were nasty. But Jesus willingly washed their feet. He took the form of a servant and, and he, washed, he washed their feet. This new pattern of living that Jesus demonstrates, this new dynamic of, of relationships, is that those who have power and capital are to go to those who do not. 
and to do for them what they cannot do for themselves without expectation of recompense, without expectation of being paid back, without any expectation whatsoever. Totally turns the, the idea of human relationships on their head. As we look at this last phrase here, ransom for many, this indicates it's a, a price that was paid specifically to free someone from the bonds of slavery, from, from bondage. And it, it means an exchange. And in this case, the, this phrase is one for many. Jesus was exchanging himself for many. He was laying down his life. We look at the book of Romans. I alluded to this verse earlier. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for his all. You see, we all share a common need. It happens to be the most significant need that we all have is that we, we come into this world with a a broken relationship between us and God. And we are far from him, and there's nothing that we can do to fix that relationship. But God, who loves us more than anything, wants that relationship restored. And so he sends Jesus into the world to live a perfect life and to offer himself as an exchange to buy our freedom for each one of us. And he did that by laying down his life. Remember we said that that act of service is the, to the extent of laying down someone's life. And in Jesus' case, he, he did this in both death and in, in life. The rest of that verse, he who did not spare his own son but gave him for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Graciously give us all things. As we look at the Gospels, again, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these, these accounts of Jesus' life, we see Jesus going to and purchasing the freedom of, uh, of women who were considered nothing more than property, of children, of those who existed even beyond the margins of society. They were out in the fringes for whatever, if, if they could have been uh, physically ill or mentally ill or just poor, they would have been outcast. And Jesus went to them and he served them. He went to the bad guys. He served the Romans who were oppressing his people. He served the religious leaders who were the ones who ended up killing him. He served the rich. There is not a person alive back then or now who does not need Jesus to serve them. So remember we said that it's, it's about those with capital and with power going to those who have not and doing for them what they cannot do for themselves. And I, wanted, I want to show you a video clip that I think just so poignantly displays what this is. And um, you're going to see a clip from a web series called The Chosen. And I, usually I cringe, right, when I think of Christian media and stories of Jesus and just think it's not gonna be very well done and it's gonna be cheesy and just, this is very well done. And I was really, really pleasantly surprised by um, the, the series, what I've watched of the series. So um, please have open, open hearts, open minds when you <laughs> watch this clip. So from a common sense standpoint, Jesus shouldn't have done that. The man had a highly contagious, terrible, dangerous disease. 
From a religious standpoint, Jesus shouldn't have done that. He would have made himself ceremonially unclean. But Jesus went to him. And absolutely, that man needed to be, he needed physical healing. He needed to be healed from leprosy. But maybe more than that, as a, as a leper, he would have been isolated. He wouldn't have been allowed to, to be around people. You saw the reaction of the disciples when he approached. And they were yelling at him, telling him to stay away. That was the reaction he got from everybody wherever he went. Never mind a hand on the back of his neck or a hug. I would suggest to you that maybe what he needed even more than to be healed from the leprosy was human contact. Jesus had it. He went to him and he reached out to him and he gave it to him in his greatest need. He met him in his place of greatest need and did for him what he couldn't do for himself, did for him what others wouldn't do for him. So where is that place in your life? What is your place of greatest need? There's big things that we struggle with. I know some of your stories, and I know some of you have seen way too much of life. I know that things have been hard, and people have treated you poorly in just ways nobody should even have to think about. We have that past trauma. We have physical ailments and illnesses. We have depression and anxiety. Those big things, Jesus will step right into the middle of them and meet you there and serve you. But Jesus isn't only about the big stuff. He's about the everyday stuff. That child of yours that's struggling, that child of yours that's succeeding, the things that preoccupy our mind and distract us, the job that just seems, the demands just seem to keep increasing over and over and over, the concern about how are we going to put food on the table, how are we going to pay rent. Those things that don't seem necessarily as spiritual or as Jesus-y, but he wants to and he can meet you right in the middle of those and serve you if we would just, if we would just let him. <clears throat> you see, true freedom happens when we allow Jesus to be and do what the Bible tells us he is and does. When we allow Jesus to serve us, we can experience freedom from the big stuff that's crushing, freedom from the everyday stuff that's annoying and we just can't get away from it. But we have to allow Jesus to be who he is and to do the things that he's capable of. So practically speaking, how, how do we do that? I would suggest to you that we have to ask and we have to act. God the Father had this plan in place before time began. God the Father had you in mind before time began. Not you like humanity, you. Like you as an individual. He had you in mind. 
God the Spirit is always at work, always at work, orchestrating the circumstances and the relationships of the people that don't yet know him to create an opportunity to find him. God the Son came to earth, 100% God, 100% human, walked among us, lived a perfect life, died an innocent death, rose again so that we could be freed. We could be freed from that ultimate need. We could be freed from the daily needs. But we've, we've got to take advantage of it. First thing we've got to realize is that we cannot do it on our own. We have to ask. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture is the story of a man who has a son struggling with demon possession. And his son has struggled for a very, very long time. And Jesus happens upon this man and his son. And this is the exchange that they have. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It often has thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on him. Take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. If we would but ask. Even our very belief and who Jesus is and the things that he can do is dependent upon him. And he's the son of man who holds it all together every minute of every day. So when we ask, help us in our unbelief. There aren't many guarantees in life, but I guarantee you that's a prayer that Jesus will answer. We have to ask. And then we have to act. And we're talking about burdens and these things that weigh us down and the struggles that we have. So I'm not going to ask you to do something. I'm not going to ask you to add anything to your plate. I'm actually going to ask you to stop doing things and to take things away. Um, I'm going to run through a couple of things that are ancient practices that are absolutely crucial to surviving in our modern world. They're called, ready, disciplines of abstinence. I know, it sounds terrible, right? We're going to call them anti-habits. Make it a little more palatable. Anti-habits. And there's three of them. Silence, solitude, and fasting. For those of you who've been doing the Advent devotional along with us, I didn't plan this, right? Yesterday, yesterday's devotional was about seeking some time of silence, right? God is good in the way that he, he orchestrates stuff. The first one, silence. This is from Exodus 14, 14. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. We need to take advantage of opportunities to disconnect, to unplug, to shut off anything and everything that makes noise and that would distract us and allow God the opportunity to speak to us. And as I look around the room, some of you are thinking, yes, please, I'll take all the silence. I'll take all of it. And others of you are like, I would just rather go to the dentist. That sounds terrible. <laughs> Regardless of, of your personality type, Silence is something that is so 
critical, and it's so hard to come by. I forget the study that was done, but um, uh, and, uh, I think he was an audiologist, tried to um, capture silence, the sound of silence. And he had to like, sit through, I don't remember, like days worth of, of just recording wherever he was and filter out. There was just so much noise all around him all the time and just a few breaks of silence in between. Even just to string together a minute of silence, it took him like days to, to be able to, to record that. But what silence does is it allows God to find us and to fill us if we would but just stop. The next one is solitude. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. This, is, this was a regular habit of Jesus. This was part of his rhythm of life. He would pull back from the crowds that were around him. He would pull back from his friends, and he would make time to just be. You see, the first one, silence, is not possible without solitude. And again, this is another one of those things that can be scary. And this used to, um, this actually used to terrify me, this idea of solitude. That abbreviation up there, FOMO, fear of missing out. This was, I had this long before it was a thing, long before anybody came up with the acronym. I, I was convinced that if I was not with other people, that I, something was going on that I should have been a part of, that it meant that I was lacking in some way, that if I wasn't out there with other people. And it's, it's a real thing, but I would encourage you that solitude is not about loneliness and isolation. It's actually a way to combat those things. Solitude is, a, is not being alone, but it's being alone with God. It's being alone with the Son of Man, with the Creator, with the definer of our faith and our life, with the sustainer. Solitude is not about being alone and, and facing the giants by yourself. Solitude is about being alone with God so you can allow him to serve you and meet you in those places of need. And I want to suggest to you one other thing, right? I'm going to give you another acronym. This one I made up. There was the fear of missing out thing, but there was also the fear of what's inside. A lot of why I, I wouldn't spend time alone is because there was stuff from my past that I didn't want to think about. There was stuff that laid in front of me that I, my mind would just go to really dark places that I didn't want to think about. If, we're, if we can muster up the courage, again, like, Jesus, we believe, help us in our unbelief. Jesus, help me to do this. I'm gonna be intentional about trying to create some time alone. Jesus, please meet me. He will meet you. In the midst of that, you can deal with that stuff that's inside. I used to rationalize it by saying, well, I'm, just, I'm serving other people. I'm, just, I'm always going. I'm doing stuff for other people. Right? And maybe, you're, maybe you're like that. And if you're not like that, you definitely know somebody like that. But folks, I got news for you. That only lasts for so long. You can only keep that up for so long before the wheels fall off the little red wagon. Jesus wants to serve us. In silence and in solitude, it creates opportunities for him to do just that. He meets us 
right where we are in the midst of that. So that might sound a little bit, a little bit overwhelming. One thing I would suggest to you is, and we have these out front, is this book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality Day by Day by Pete Scazzaro. And it's a way to apply those practices of silence and solitude. Um, these are, I think, we're, not I think, I know, they're, they're five bucks. We don't make money on these books. We actually sell them at a loss. We want to get them into your hands. If the idea of silence and solitude is like, just like overwhelming and you wouldn't know where to begin, grab a copy of that book. And um, he's done lots of research on the ancient practices, and he's put it in a format that's really accessible and in small chunks that you can accomplish in a, in a small amount of time. Those are out front at the, at the connection point table. Last one I want to mention is fasting. <clears throat> Jesus in the, is, is led by the Spirit of God out into the wilderness, and he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights, and he's being tempted by Satan, and Jesus responds to him. Satan's like, come on, turn these stones into bread, and you can eat. We'll just the whole thing will be, be done. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So the idea of fasting, right, completely foreign, seems like it's for, for monks and like stuff you have to do before you go get your blood work done, right? Not, not something that you would engage in on a, on, a regular, on a regular basis. In fasting, we say, like the most common thing is to fast from food. And we say no to food so we can say yes to God. And if you've never fasted food before, I would encourage you to try it. Unless there's like a, a medical reason why it would be a bad idea to do that, just, just try it. Um, there are alternatives to, to food fasts. Um, you can, here's, here's a challenging one, right? I have conversations with people and it's funny, some of them will be like, well, I, yeah, I'm going to fast, but I could, I could just I could never fast bread. I, could, I can't give up bread. I could never give up bread. I wouldn't live, be able to live without bread. What's really interesting, the three most common that I hear, bread, pasta, and coffee. Can't live without them. Right? So maybe, maybe the next fast that we do as a community, that's what we'll do. We'll fast bread, <laughs> pasta, and coffee. Um, how, about, how about this? How about if you were to fast from negativity and complaining? Right? If you were to be super, super intentional about watching the thoughts that transpire in your mind and the things that come out of your mouth, and you were just going to give that up, and every time you felt tempted to complain or be negative, you would just say, Jesus, help me, and see what he does. By getting rid of noise, by disconnecting from other people and getting alone, by giving up food or habits or whatever it might be by fasting we create space for God to meet us right where we are and to serve us in our place of of deepest need so with all three of those things I would suggest that you start small 30 seconds of silence that could feel overwhelming to some of us I'm gonna go I'm gonna get alone I'm gonna pull myself out of, of connection for five minutes. I'm going to fast. I'm just going to skip. Like I usually leave my desk at like two o'clock in the afternoon, go down to the concession stand, get a snack. That's, gonna, that's what I'm going to fast. No two o'clock snack. Start 
small. Please do not start with a three-day, nothing but water, silence and solitude, fast and retreat. You will fail, you will hate me, and you'll drive yourself crazy. Don't do it. Um, start small and be, be intentional about it. And see how, how Jesus meets you in the midst of, of right where you are. Um, I will leave you with, with this, that we have a God unlike any other uh, system of belief who wants to serve us. We have a God who knows everything, is all-powerful. He holds all of this together, holds it all in the palm of his hand. He knows more about this life, knows more about your life in particular than anyone or anything ever could. And he wants to meet you in your place of greatest need. He wants to serve you. He wants you to experience that true freedom that can only come from being served by the Son of Man. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that, um, thank you, that you are in control. Thank you that all glory and honor and power is yours. Thank you that you live this life perfectly so you could understand the things that we think and feel and do. Thank you even that with all that power, all that knowledge, all that perfection, that you would still be willing to reach us in the midst of our need and do for us the things we can't do for ourselves. Jesus, even the, the very act of us believing in you is predicated on you and in your spirit working in us. Jesus, thank you. Jesus, we want to be served by you. We want to follow you. We want to experience your work in our lives. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that in you we find true freedom. Amen.